This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Scoops. So it's that time of year, <laughs> and no, I'm yeah. not talking about Christmas. It is almost world junior season ah that time of year my favorite time of year <laughs> in terms of hockey um because at least this year and i guess last year it's a way to uh get a little bit of a break from the way the ducks have been playing over the last couple <laughs> of seasons and uh focus on the future and in in this uh last year i forget who was there last year trevor zegris was there didn't know he was a part of the ducks at that point uh lucas dostal was there Trying to remember if there were any other ducks there. Was Maxim Comtois was there last year? I think because that was the oh, whole. Oh yeah, then did he play? Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was there. But anyway, this year um, it's official. Trevor Zegras is there, uh, and yeah. Lucas Dostal is back for the. Czechs. Was it Troy Terry there? Troy Terry was there a couple years ago, I think. Uh, I don't okay. think you no, because last year, oh maybe he was there last year. Yeah, no, no, he played, the, the... no he played with the Ducks full time pretty much last year. So the, oh the, yeah, yeah, I don't two, think he was eligible. Ago. That's right, yeah. Anyways, it's that Maybe. time of year, so it's coming up in three days. Obviously, there's yeah. this thing called Christmas first that we have to deal with before we can get to World Juniors. But uh, stupid Jesus, I hear you, Ed. Yeah, I know what you mean. But if you wanna, <laughs> if you wanna look forward to the future of Ducks hockey and get away maybe from, from some of the way they've been playing this year. Um, arguably, I guess I mean, you could argue right now, Lucas Dostal is, is jumping up to one of the Ducks' top prospects. But Trevor Zegris for sure is their number one prospect, and Lucas Dostal is up there. So if you want to watch two of the brightest Ducks prospects play, uh, then you can either cheer for the U.S. or cheer for the hometown Czech Republic. Uh, I'll be cheering for both of those guys individually, but I can't uh, can't bring myself yeah. to, to yeah. cheer for the U.S., yeah, your your Canadianness won't allow it. I'm wearing you can't see because you don't get to see the video, but I'm wearing a Team Canada jersey right now, and you are wearing a shirt that says Greece but has a UK flag on it. So, <laughs> yeah, just there. I always love wearing this most mostly because it's not people telling me it's wrong. It's most people just staring at it and then second guessing if they're wrong. Like they go like, "That's not that's not the flag, is that's it?" Greece, but like, I'll, I'll be having a conversation. I could just see the wheels turn, and they're like. 
I don't know if I should tell him because I don't want to seem stupid. <laughs> Does he know? Does he? <laughs> Does he know? Or am I? Did, am I in the wrong did he here? Get it's not, that in Greece. It's not Greece. <laughs> did he pay for that? <laughs> so I love this sweatshirt. <laughs> All right. Anyway, we'll get into uh, World Junior talk a little bit later down the road because there's some updates on obviously who made it and who didn't. Uh, but we have a couple games to talk about. The Ducks had a back-to-back in New York. They faced the Islanders on Saturday night, and they faced the Rangers on Sunday night. The Islanders game went a bit better than the Rangers one did and for obvious reasons that we'll get to in a bit but uh, in that game against the Islanders the Ducks win 6-5 in a shootout. Uh, Shootout Mm. I think describes this game pretty well because it was back and forth for most of the game. There was really no comebacks in this one. I don't think it did a team ever have a two goal lead in this game. I don't think they did. I don't think so. I think it kind of went back and back and forth. It was like oh, score one, the other team scores two, and then we score one, and they score one, and then we score two, and then they score one. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, definitely a, a shootout and a weird one because you wouldn't think that from the uh, Islanders being so stingy defensively for most of the season. Yeah, it's not their mo to allow. Well, I guess technically only five goals against, but uh, and 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 I think it was Varlamov in this game, but Varlamov and uh, and Grace have been very good for for the the islanders this year and obviously matt barzell and anders lee were front and center for the Mm -hmm. uh, for the islanders in this one as well but uh, a couple good things for the ducks um maxim comtois scored another power play goal for the ducks power plays kind of cooled off a bit from that hot start in december but it's still sitting around i think 22 23 percent in the month of december which is miles better than Mm -hmm. the below 10 percent it was for most of the season so can't complain about that (laughs) Uh, Carrick, Sam Carrick scores a shorty, second career NHL mm-hmm. goal. Uh, been a little bit of a wait for him. Nice to see him get on the board and contributing, especially with Derek Grant out. It, you know, Carrick is essentially filling that role right now, so for him to get on the score sheet is helping us uh, kind of get over that uh, that gap that Derek Grant uh, that that injury has forced. So. Yeah, yeah, same. It's like uh, now, at least in that game, it's like all of a sudden now oh, we got a little bit of offense going, and then we. And then we can't really do anything on defense or goaltending. Just it's like, when are we going to get things to just sync up all the time? Doesn't seem like it's going to happen. <laughs> I also have an update. I don't know if for anybody uh-huh. listening to the show before, um, you might have seen Coach Mumbay in our chat occasionally, or we've mentioned him at times. He's uh, our friend Shane on Twitter. Uh, he his gripe about our show is we always go live during the Packers games, and apparently we've we've done it again. <laughs> oh really? What's today? Packers, Monday. Packers. Monday. Uh, yeah, yeah, they play the, the Vikings. Monday night Monday. football game. There's only one game on in the NFL tonight. It just happens to be the Packers. So, well, in our defense, we couldn't do it Saturday, or Sunday because we're not trying to do it at the same time. Ducks games are on, and uh, not doing it tomorrow night or, you know, secretly the we guy you hate Jesus's birthday. Our games around <laughs> Packers games. That's just uh, that's just the way. I guess it's true. Then all right, well, let's just roll with it. Yeah, why not, um, Henrik? Nice falling pass to Jakob Silverberg. That uh, goal was originally reviewed for goaltender interference. The uh, Ehlers and Hayward both kind of thought it was actually going to get called back. Uh, I thought it was a good goal in the end, but a nice play by Adam Henrique, who's all of a sudden heating up again, which is desperately needed with Ryan Getzlaff missing this game and the game against the Rangers due to illness. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're starting to get a little... The one, the one thing I thought we were doing pretty well on was some of that center depth with uh, some of the... Uh, wings kind of hit or missing there so you know if you if you don't have gets off there then you start to kind of like oh boy we're, we're in trouble but Henrique Steele's doing well and then we're also missing Grant and so it's just like kind of missing those guys you, you're gonna have to find goals somewhere and uh, Henrique's 
done all right. I mean, he's, he's he was cold earlier on, but he's got goals here and there a little bit now, and uh, he's obviously getting a little bit more time and a lot more responsibility with Getzlaff being down. And Cam keeps scoring. We talked about yeah. him being on pace for a career year. He ends up scoring in this one. I think he's on pace for 16 goals now in the season, which uh, almost I don't want to say it obliterates his career high because I think it was 11 in his rookie year. That's a pretty significant increase for a defenseman to, to score five more goals in your career high to, to kind of sit right in that uh, that upper echelon of, of goal scoring by defenseman. Not many guys hit 20, so to even kind mm-hmm. of scratch the surface of, of hitting a 20-goal season is pretty impressive for Cam, and he's doing it, uh, what is he now, 20, 28, turning 28, 27, 28 this year. So yes, 27. I think yeah. pretty pretty late on to have a breakout year. To, you know, your second best, uh, your best year since your rookie season. But we'll take it. I mean, not uh, not many positive this year, but uh, Cam Fowler's breakout, if you want to call it that, has definitely been one of them. Yeah, that's good. I mean, uh, if you want to try to compare it to like where everyone is like putting like your your Eric Carlson's and things like that. I mean, where does he stand next to that? And kind of go like, okay, well. He's definitely doing better than that because <laughs> I yeah, I think yeah, you know without sure. knowing exactly what Carlson is doing I think uh, Cam has more goals at least probably not more points just cause, no but I, I mean he's yeah. never been an offensive defenseman I mean you look at the guys you know in the past who routinely scored twenty goals Mike Green was one of those guys nowadays it's it's guys like Dougie Hamilton Brent Burns who seem to to always either get close to twenty goals or surpass it as defensemen so not many guys do it usually it's anywhere between one to five guys a season. Uh, from the blue line that scored 20 goals. So for Cam to get anywhere close to that is a, is a big plus for the Ducks. Uh, the only guy to even really get close to that recently, I think Lindholm had 13 last year or the year before that, So which was surprising to, to look at that at the end of the year and see he was at that number because he's not a guy you kind of label as a goal-scoring defenseman. But a uh, big step forward from Cam, especially a guy who's been in the center of trade rumors for the Ducks for really the past four or five years. And they've been solid goals too. It's like most of the goals that come in, he, he, it's it's. I, I can just think of a few of them that have come in where he just kind of comes in as that that last guy gets it and then picks his spot. Uh, and so when when someone's doing that, it it, it kind of feels there's like a lot of confidence in it. It's not necessarily he's taking it going like, okay, I haven't had much success scoring, so I'm gonna you know maybe try and look for that extra pass. And he just gets it, measures it, and takes a shot. So um, you know he's been. Rushing in the play a whole lot more, which has uh, definitely been helpful and kind of plays to his style a bit better. So it's good to see him kind of get in that rush, be that third or fourth guy in sometimes, and then just kind of pick his spot. He's, he's, he's got an accurate shot. Uh, he showed it against uh, Verlama with that high, uh, high glove side shot. Yeah, and all of a sudden the Ducks are good in shootouts again. Uh, and they, they have their ace <laughs> yeah, back. Were they ever? <laughs> they well, when they were good. Uh, yeah, I guess for the first time. They, they are now good at shootouts. <laughs> that, that's that's correct. But Silverberg's back to being... All that coach being, from uh, uh, Akins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, Silverberg's back to being a shootout ace, but he's doing it differently. He's actually kind of... Well, he's, he, I can't classify it as a deke. Instead of shooting forehand, he's literally just shooting with the backhand. So he's just switched handedness on, on the way he's going to shoot. But it's always been Silver the MO for him in the shootout as he comes down and just picks the top corner. Doesn't really do, yeah. doesn't do anything. He just uses an accurate hard shot to beat a, <laughs> beat a goaltender. And now he's just nonchalant, kind of goes to the backhand and just throws the top corner. There used to be a thing a couple of years back where they looked at every uh, thing that Silverberg did as far as the shootout goes, and they they, they drew a line following him. And in uh, I think like in, uh, all of one season, he did like I don't know like eight or nine shots, 
And it was the exact same path, where he picked it up, where he hit the blue line, where he kind of came in, and where he shot it. And it was always forehand, far side, glove. And he did it like nine times in a row. And it was just like like six or seven of them, too. Yeah, exactly. He was so good at it. And so it's it's good because it hasn't necessarily worked as well over the last couple of seasons. So it's good. It almost has that same kind of that movement. But instead of just doing that shot, it just, just brings it to his back end. And now Gold is just so sure he's going to shoot it forehand that literally that that goal against Varlamov, he just did the back end of Varlamov. just like, oh, Crap. Yeah, and nobody <laughs> nobody ever really shoots it like that from that, like that. position. And it was a good. I mean, it was a damn good shot yeah. too. So I mean, if he's got a, a backhand as a possibility, he's really lethal. I mean, at that point, yeah, the goalies no, are guessing. He's added Deacon, and then he's got mm. three weapons in his arsenal. But uh, come to us, triple to have, Yeah, why not? He's got the the forehand <laughs> shot, the backhand okay. shot, and then a triple deke. Mm-hmm. Be, uh, I mean, he's already one of the most effective players in the shootout, or at least he was. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully he's getting back to that. But Maxim Comtois now, I think, is two for two in his career. He's done the same move twice, fake the forehand mm-hmm. and go to the backhand and roof it over the goalie. <clears throat> Maybe it's a one-two punch. I don't want to say that. I don't necessarily want to see the Ducks in, in that many shootouts, but if at least mm-hmm. you have two guys who can be effective in it, I know it's a very small sample size for Comtois, two for two, but he looks confident. And, um, you know, I'm having, you know, Vietnam flashbacks from come to mind in the world juniors <laughs> last year, having a penalty shot and, and missing uh, and missing the uh, goal that could have give uh, Canada the gold medal. But uh, he seems to have figured it out and learned from that uh, in the well, NHL now. We'll see. I mean, the first one was against a rookie goalie and the second one against, was against Varlamov. And not that Varlamov's a slouch or anything, but I, I wouldn't classify that game as his best game. So, uh, you know, and especially if he's not used to, you know, ever, I don't think he's ever played against Comtois. So, um, you know, that might be a little unfamiliarity, but before again, who's the last shootout against, uh, that it was against the, uh, no, um, I want to say it wasn't when I think it was Minnesota. Yeah, I know there was one against me. I thought there was three. I thought it was Minnesota Islanders and somebody else thrown in the mix there. It might be Colorado. Maybe, but either way, think, Comtois has done it twice. I was just trying to think of the goaltenders. He's. I think it was a. Go- I think it was Colorado. Now that I think about it. Yeah. So um, it would have been. But anyways, uh, yeah, I didn't Frank Coos or something. Yeah. Whoever was yeah. in that at that time. Um, uh, we got a question in chat. I guess we'll answer it now. We we get to it a bit later. But uh, Firebites asked, at this point, do you see the Ducks tanking for the rest of the year? No. I hate that word. I hate I, that word tank. And I don't think any team. It makes it seem like they're doing it on purpose, you know. And the I, last I, I don't. Yeah, the, the last team I remember actively tanking was the Sabres, like for McDavid. That was clear. They like sold all their best players, and they were running like the backup goalie for most of their starts. Like they were actively tanking, and it didn't work out for them. And I don't want to say that specifically turned teams off of it. I just think teams are, you know, the the, the lottery, especially the last couple of years. Like, look at how many actual bottom teams have gotten that first overall pick over the last five years. I think it's maybe happened once or twice. That right there. Edmonton all the time. Yeah. I mean, but they weren't even the, the last place team for some of those. They yeah. weren't even the, the dead last and they ended up moving up. So I just think um I don't I don't think front office staff are, are, are kind of going for that now. The, the odds are against you. I you know, I, I again selling your players at the deadline and so and, and trying to not actively lose, but at least you know, you you've you've given in to the fact that you aren't gonna be a good enough team to compete. You can call that tanking if you want. I mean it does the same effect is you're selling off players who aren't going to help you now to try and get a better shot at a higher draft pick. I, again, I don't like, yeah, I, I don't like the word tanking, but I, I think 
I think management could be sellers at the deadline if, if that kind of answers the same question. I think that in that sense they are preparing for the tank or at least to get a better pick this year and uh, move and get just some younger assets, whether it's prospects or picks for so, some players that we've already mentioned, like Andre Cash or Adam Henrique or whoever. Um, I, I can see them going that route, but I don't think specifically management it has a focus of let's go for that first overall pick. We're going to try and lose games and we're going to, you know, bench guys or fake injuries or whatever the Sabres did back, uh, back when they tried <laughs> to get me name. I, I don't think they're going that route. Yeah. Cause, cause when you say tank, I, I feel like that's, you're saying that the players are tanking and the players don't give a damn who's going to get drafted next. They're worried about their job, their next contract, and their personal careers. I mean, they're going to take pride in it, I would assume. Uh, I mean, maybe management would like hope and it'd be nice, you know, for a future to, to maybe be a little bad and go there. But they're still got to put players out there. And whatever players they put out there are still going to want to play and succeed. And a coach isn't going to sit there, especially Dallas Akins, go out because this is his quite possibly his his last chance at coaching if it doesn't go so red hot. So I don't think he's looking to bench players that that might give him a chance to win in the hopes that down the road they get a draft pick that might make an impact at some point. And it's not even a guarantee that most of the guys that come in are going to be your your McDavid, your uh, Line, your Matthews, your um, your Eichels. I mean, there's there's no real guarantee. You look at Hughes and you look at Kako, and yeah. those guys really aren't lighting it up. So it might be a few yeah, years I mean, down the road. Yeah, it'll, it'll take a while. I, I, I think even if you try and tank, I don't think the Ducks are going to be bad enough to to kind of equal what the Red Wings and the Devils are doing right now. <laughs> so I think yeah. just they're, they're, they're upper echelon bad. I mean, we're yeah. we're, we're pretenders in that one. <laughs> yeah, Can't quite and, make... and just playing the way the Ducks are now, that's probably going to yeah. guarantee them a top ten pick anyway. So yeah, I, I I don't think many teams tank anymore. But we we kind of cover that a bit more later. So we'll get to that. Uh, we got to cover this Rangers game as as ugly as it was. Uh, and for good reason, the Ducks lineup was pretty much half goals players, if not more. Um, Daniel Sprong I, finally called up, right? Yeah, we talked about yeah. it on the last show. What was it going to take to get him called up? Apparently what it takes is losing your three best players. Getzlaff Five of your top seven uh, forwards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Getzlaff and Silverberg were both out uh, with injury. Getzlaff, or with, sorry, with illness. Getzlaff was out against the Islanders and then also in this one. Obviously, he gave whatever he has to Silverberg because Silverberg ended up missing the, the Rangers game. Stop making illness. out those two. Oh, man, I guess so. You know, <laughs> this the, you never know what goes on behind closed doors. Uh, yeah, right. so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Raquel, upper body injury, right? Yep. And then obviously the the same suspects: Terry still out, Grant still out. I think Larson was back for this one, but up front is where the Ducks are, are really struggling. Because you look at their lineup, it was Shore, Henrik, and Sprong, Comtois, <laughs> Lindstrom, and Corbinian Holzer. Jumping up into the top six and playing right wing. Uh, Jones, Steele, and Kasha, and then Delore, Carrick, and Rowney. Uh, has I mean, Holzer ever played the forward position? I think he has. Oh, let me rephrase before. that. Has, has he ever played the defensive position? No, uh, yeah. No, not really. Well, okay. no. Well. <laughs> so, and, and to in this game, he got uh, taken down and, and utilized as a 7th D for most of the game, and the Ducks were just rolling with 11 forwards. He didn't last too long on that uh, that line with Comtois and Lindstrom because it just wasn't working out. And I think it was uh, a mix of Kasha and Sprong who were kind of bouncing between that line and, and duties on that line as well. So, 
Not surprising the Ducks end up losing this game 5-1, to one, a, a relatively fully healthy Rangers team that's playing some decent hockey. And when you got to go up against a guy like Artemi Panarin and, and Mika Zibinijad, it's it's a tough one. And Lundqvist stood his ground in this one, to be fair. The Ducks had a few mm-hmm. chances, but uh, it, it's hard to compete with a lineup like that. You look at the fact that Sprong's been in the, NA, or the AHL all season. He's essentially an AHLer right now. So is Lindstrom. You could argue same thing maybe for Steele, Jones, Comtois at this point. Sam Carrick, you know, that's what? How many guys did I mention there? Six mm-hmm. guys in your lineup who are AHLers, and you've got a defenseman playing forward, so that's seven. You throw in the fourth liners and, with and Carrick. Not, and not just any defenseman. It's like your sixth, seventh defenseman. Yeah. Oh, we, we got to make a winger it's now. It's not like the Sabres plugging <laughs> Montour just, and, yeah. and, you know, in, in forward. It's it's a bit different yeah. than that. Uh, and then you throw in DeLorean and Rowney, our, our fourth liner, so your real only top six forward on your in your lineup in this game was Adam Henrique. That yeah. that that's it. I mean, I mean, Kasha. yeah, Kasha. I guess right. Kasha and Henry. So Henry and Kasha would be your only ones. Uh, Shore is, is an NHLer, but he's a third, you know, bottom six NHL, and the rest of them are either AHL guys, younger guys, or fourth liners. Yeah, I mean, so so obviously the next person to leave the organization is that guy we brought in to prevent injuries, right? Because <laughs> yeah. I mean, we talked about it last show, but we didn't get to post it, uh, but. That's that's horrible. Like, I mean, he's had such an awesome track record, uh, track record of making sure teams don't get injured and pulling guys out at a certain time so that they they statistically wouldn't avoid, in, you know, they would avoid injury. And now we just went into a game where we're missing five of our best seven center or uh, uh, forwards. Um, it's just insane, and most of them for significant time. Uh, 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 Manson's been out. Lindholm's been out. Yeah, <sighs> Gooley's been out first, and then Richie. It, now it's offense. That that's Terry. <laughs> and what's next? Goaltending? Because we haven't seen an injury there. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and where's where's the love for Gibby? Not being out any games. Right. Everyone wants to give him crap. It's like literally, I can pick pretty much everybody except. Not, I think Kasha's missed a game or two somewhere in there. I thought this season hasn't he? I he, I believe he has. If a few oh, games oh, yeah. in there, we thought was in Kasha. Healthiest guy is so. Gibson. Besides Miller, maybe. <laughs> and, and I mean, on this injury topic, um, Josh Cooper, writer for the Athletic, he reached out to us to say he he messaged us and said, "When I started covering this team, I thought their injury issues were just unlucky. Now I think they're legit have some sort of issue with their trainers and or doctors. So it's uh, it, <sighs> or, or some sort of curse or something. I, I mean, it's it's unreal. the Angels have the same thing. I mean, you, you you don't follow baseball, and I wouldn't imagine you follow Angel baseball. But for the longest time, it was just they they could not avoid injuries. It's usually early in the season, but it was just it was. It was just a joke. They would just constantly get injured. Um, and, you know, I don't fall baseball Chris, enough right I now. I guess. You just hang out here. You get relaxed, too relaxed, and then all of a sudden your ligaments start giving out on you. It's it's ridiculous, though, how <laughs> how long it's been going on and how prevalent it's been. It's, you know, every team has this stretch every now and then, where whether it's one season or back-to-back seasons or whatnot, where, you know, injuries just are such a big problem. that Five or six seasons back Yeah, now. but it, it's at least that where the Ducks have been struggling with. with well, don't even count, you know, Kessler's still not even playing either because yeah, he's injured. Yeah. But Kessler and Eves are, are both LTIR still on the team technically, but they're out likely for their careers. And you think of, of you know, pretty much every player on this team has been injured, or at least the important players has been injured for a couple of weeks here and there over the last few seasons at some point. So it's pretty ridiculous <laughs> that 
you know, we're at this point, and obviously Getzlaff and Silver were six, so that's a bit different. If they were in the yeah, lineup for this bad. game, it would look a little bit better because you would be running, you know, Getzlaff on the top line. Uh, you would still have Silverberg, you'd have Spraw and Comtois, Shore, Jones, Cash, Steel to throw into that top nine. So it looks a bit better, but you know, losing both of those guys to illness and then Ricard Raquel, like those are your three best forwards, and they're all out for a game. Uh, not much you can, you you know, you kind of look at a five-one scoreline and you said, ah, that's not too bad considering who we're missing. Uh, you want to hear a really, really bad joke I was going to make? Um, I, I maybe. Okay. <laughs> sure. may, may, maybe Silverberg is, is out sick because of his sick backhand. I think that's like an Allers thing that he did. Like, uh, Allers would say something like, oh, he got sick from that sick backhand uh, shootout goal against Barlamov. He was just so sick he got sick. I don't know. There's a joke in there somewhere, I'm sure. I'm sure, I'm sure there is. I'm sure. It's a John Allers joke, at least. Uh, anyway, before Christmas, the Ducks end a road trip uh, with the, picking up a point in New York of a possible four. Not the best, um, you know. We expected hopefully at least. Uh, oh, sorry, two points because they beat the Islanders. Yeah. Two points, so the the win against the Islanders and the loss against the Rangers. Um, did not expect that many injuries and illness to affect the the Ducks in that game against the Rangers. You're already on a back to back, so that's going to be tough. And then throwing in, you know, a bunch of guys you just called up and a defenseman up on on Ford is going to be tough. Um, but with the injuries, we, we kind of mentioned this already, but Raquel's an upper body injury. We haven't heard too much on how long he's going to be out. It's, again, typical with the Ducks. Or even what it is. Yeah, it, it's just upper body injury. So that's all all we've kind of heard at this point. I haven't seen any updates, so you know, correct me if I'm wrong if you've heard something already. But hopefully it's not long-term or anything significant, and he's back after Christmas. But we know Troy Terry is still going to be out for about another nine weeks with a broken bone under his kneecap. Uh, Derek Grant, AC joint sprain, another three to five weeks. And then Jakob Larson returned in the game against the Rangers, so he's no longer injured. And then obviously we're waiting for Getzlaff and Silverberg to get back uh, from their illness, which hopefully relaxing for a few days over Christmas can uh, help them get back to, to full health. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, if there's any optimism that you might have, it just might be, well, what are they going to do after Christmas? Because generally after Christmas or the New Year, that's usually we see the Ducks kind of kick off or start going. If if they're going to make a push, that's generally when it happens. I was hoping last year that might happen, but with the coaching staff, that was never really going to be a possibility. So we'll see exactly where this kind of goes from here. But, I mean, that's, that's a, at this point, that's all you can hope for. Everyone, everyone get better, get back here, and we'll see where we go from here. I guess so, but one one big thing we got to talk about because we this is the main topic I guess of the last show uh, because of the Eric Stevens article that he had talked to and interviewed Daniel Sprong and, and all the yeah. quotes that came from that were a pretty big deal. Um, we kind of felt like his time was done and he was never going to get a call up, but I guess when you lose your top three players and you're playing the <laughs> defenseman on four, then that gets you a call up right there, a desperation call up for Daniel Sprong, but nonetheless he gets a call up and gets a chance. Looked okay. Uh, didn't look great, but nobody looked great. It was going to be t- almost impossible for anybody to look good uh, in that game against the Rangers. But does this change things? You know, I, I think he'll he'll get a couple chances here or there until Silverberg and and you know Getzlaff come back, and if Raquel's back sooner rather than later, then maybe it was just a one or two game trial for Daniel Sprong. But uh, what do you think? Do you think this is this is it for him, or do you think he gets another chance? Well, they they got three options from what I understand, and one is to just make him a healthy scratch for a really long time until the next injury happens. 
Uh, the other option is that uh, maybe they, they let him play a few games because, I mean, what's it going to hurt at this point? He's already called up. And then maybe there's a possibility he's a tradable asset at that point. The third and really the worst option is that um, no one trades with the Ducks or wants to trade because they're just waiting for the Ducks to eventually drop him back down. And if they do, he's got to clear waivers, and that's probably not going to happen. Um, so they end up getting cleared through waivers. He'll get picked up by somebody, I would imagine. Um, so the Ducks are kind of in a, in a tight spot. They really did not want to bring him up. Uh, but they already had to put Holzer as a winger. And at that point, I don't think they're trying to make too many defensemen try and play wing at that point. So they were kind of stuck with what they had to do. So now he's here, and now he's the probably, I won't say problem, but now it's, well, what do you do with him? Because it's either you you, you rest him or you know sit him and just make him do practices, and what good is that? And that's going to have a disgruntled player. Um so give, give him a shot. Let him play a few games. If, if he can't prove to be offensive, uh, an offensive help or he's just still really bad defensively or choosing the wrong times to be really great offensively and it costs the team, then maybe just let him go or you just trade him for a low draft pick because I think that's about, about it. He's, he's either going to make the team and be consistently helping the team or he's traded. Whether it's for a seventh to, round or nothing. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to check the – I know somebody was tweeting, but I couldn't remember who it was. But there, there's some sort of eligibility for Sprong right now since he was called up where he doesn't have to go through waivers if he's sent back down before a certain time period. I don't hmm. exactly remember who it was. I think here, let me see. It says Does it have something to do with the holiday break? Because I know they can't no, make trades. No, like no. there's a trade freeze. It doesn't have anything to do with that. So I think it has to do with the fact that he cleared waivers before. So uh, they get one more chance? Yeah. So apparently it, once you clear uh-huh. waivers, you have ten games or thirty days cumulatively cumulatively on the NHL roster before you need them again. So Sprong would be, after the game he played, would be on the roster for one game and however many days it's been since he got called up. So they have plenty of time. So when he got called up before the last Uh, game, about two uh, days ago, so he's got about 27. That's probably why they did it, because they they, they had two guys out with the flu, and now those guys are going to get the whole holiday break to get over it and get back, and then Sprong goes back to San Diego. That's probably how it goes. Yeah, credit to, to Firebits in our chat for, for bringing that up. It's 30 nice. days and or 10 games. So since he cleared waivers, it was almost a good thing that he cleared waivers. In the well, then he could stick the around for a little bit, a little bit yeah. for a while too, just to try and see, you know, until, I don't know, maybe Derek Grant's a little bit closer or something like that if, if they don't the lose time. him. This, this is oh, yeah. because yeah. you've cleared waivers. They send him once. back down. I can't see him bring him back up unless they're yeah. all in on him. He's got about four or five games, I think that they'll give him uh, a leash there and see how he does. Uh, I think 30 days will come before 10 games because of this Christmas break here and, uh, you know, only a few games between now and so January. So 20, 22nd, so roughly around the 21st, 20th of January. Yeah, I, I think there's a decision made on, on Sprong probably leading into January unless the next few games don't go well and, and guys start coming back. But if he gets sent back down again, uh, I think that's it for him. Uh, I think yeah. this is this is the last stand for Daniel Sprong on whether he'll stick around and be a big part with of the team. Or, yeah, yeah with, with with the Ducks for sure. You know, if he ends up sticking around, then 
you know, I could eat my words here, but we'll have to see how things go. Because I think, uh, again, if he gets sent down to San Diego for another time, I, I think by the deadline, he's likely a guy who gets moved. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's move on some, from Sprong and uh, talk, you know, since our last show, if you're listening to this now and you're wondering where the hell have we been, well, we did record a show. We were live, uh, what was it, four to four or five days ago now. Yeah. Was it Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday, I think. We Wednesday, were live. Wednesday. Problem was we had some issues <laughs> and the podcast podcast froze a couple times. Sorry, of and uh, it completely messed up the audio <laughs> file. So that's why you, if you haven't heard from us for a few days, that's we had a show. It just didn't get a chance to be uploaded. So we will kind of track back and cover a topic we had talked about before. And at the time, the Ducks were dead last in the Western Conference, still hovering around that position. And they're near the bottom there. So a yeah. few questions. But now they they jettisoned all the way to the top of the Pacific Division, right? No, unfortunately oh, not. So this, that's why this this topic is is still relative. A uh, few <laughs> questions we had posed because the Ducks were dead last uh, in the West or close to it. Now heading into the Christmas break, uh, if the Ducks are sellers at the deadline, who should they trade? Kasha. Yeah, Andre Kasha, I think is one of them. <laughs> I, I I think because the rumors before and the fact that Kasha is well. Yeah. Sorry. I think the the only big thing here with Andre Kasher is um, you're selling low at this point. And is it worth it to sell low when you still have him under contract and maybe keep him? And you know, I think at the draft, despite even if the season doesn't go well for Kasher, I think you get more at the draft than you do at the deadline. And, and I don't think that's, uh, that's one you need to rush unless the right deal comes across. I think if they do get the right deal, I think he is a guy that, that can be moved. And I think Bob Murray, as we saw with the Justin Falk deal that fell apart. He's willing to include him on deals that can help the team or if teams are interested in him. But um, I've kind of changed my stance on that one a bit. I, I feel like it is uh, it is more of a draft trade if it was to get done. I think you get better assets at the draft than you would at the deadline. Um, I don't I don't think from a Ducks perspective, you know, the, well, there's two ways. It, it depends the, the team you're trading with. Now, if it's a trade deadline acquisition thing, uh, they can get Kasha at a relatively cheap price as far as their salary cap hit goes. And if they're really savvy on his underlying numbers and his, his uh, play drive, that might be something like, well, his numbers haven't quite hit, but he's on Anaheim and he's yeah, doing really change great. The scenery, you change the scenery, all of a sudden those pucks start going in, and you know, and he could really help our team and be that you know diamond in the rough, where you know we might pay for it, especially if like some big names get moved around, and all of a sudden those big names are gone. Maybe they look at that. Whereas if you go to the draft, there's a little bit more time. They're not so under the gun. They can really kind of think through about how they want to do it. And then maybe it's, you know, well, I don't know, now he's injury prone and there's this and that. And, you know, now we got to look long term on it. So I still feel he's he's a, a good asset, even though he's not his numbers aren't quite hitting. I think teams will go like, well, Anaheim's not really hitting on all cylinders. So, you know, maybe he's just stuck in there because his numbers, underlying numbers look good. Cabronson, I think, has always been just we had to get somebody got him and there's no way we're going to really hold on to that unless all of a sudden he makes our defensive core just all that much better and it really hasn't come to fruition at this point so i would think even though he's got a longer contract he's a bigger guy and i think he's somebody that has played well enough and maybe it's a little bit of that five six defenseman with a little bit of uh, tenacity that teams might be willing to I'll give you this to give me that that sort of deal, and maybe we get more of a draft pick out of him than anything. So I think those are probably my two 
big picks to kind of move on from this point. Or Ryan Miller if a team needs a backup. Could yeah, I, I, Ryan Miller one all depends if he wants to move or not. I, I think the uh, interesting thing for Andre Cash is obviously the injury thing is a negative against him in, in any trade value. And if teams, I think some teams will shy away because of that and because a lot of them have been concussions. But uh, on the other hand. Just because the offense isn't there for Andre Cash, he does a lot of things away from the puck, which teams will love and which is proven that teams do love. And the underlying numbers show that he is a, a great play driver uh, and very good in his own end as well. And, and you know, just uh, as we've kind of named him or as Ducks fans named him, the Energizer Bunny, he just does everything when he's on the ice. So that will appeal to a lot of teams, even though the offense isn't there. And it is kind of a change of scenery, a reclamation project, whatever you want to call it, where – they might be and it can be a short-term team. experiment too. Yeah. Just like we get him for the rest of this, you know, season and playoffs. Hopefully, it provides, and then after that, you know, you kind of reevaluate where and you are. And that's appealing them. to a lot of teams where you don't have to pay that much, especially at the deadline because the cap will hit will be less. You're basically paying nothing to bring Andre Cash into your team this year and hoping he can maybe spark your offense and or at least provide some sort of energy. I think that's proven. I think the only reason teams would kind of shy away or, or try and ask, you know, ask yeah, for injury. less is, is because of the injury history. And obviously he's been injured a couple times this year already. So that might scare some teams away. But it, I think it all depends on who's available, right? Like Andre Cash's name could shoot up and he, he could be you know the second or third or fourth best goal scorer available at the deadline. And, and you know if some of the bigger names go that end up going – then the Ducks might be able to get a better price for him at the deadline than they would at the draft. I, I think the only way this gets done, though, is if Bob Murray gets a deal he's looking for or one he really likes. I don't think he's actively shopping Andre Kasha. Yeah, I think the deal that he would like would be a really good right-handed defenseman prospect. So not necessarily someone that has to come in the lineup right now, but someone to put in the system that might be making the team soon. But, you know, a high-end prospect and then probably a draft pick on top of it. So yeah. something and a conditional draft pick. So like if Kasha gets injured, then the draft pick becomes a little bit less, and then that might make teams be, okay, we're giving up a future right-handed shot for a guy who might you know kick us into the playoffs and even higher throughout the playoffs. And if he gets injured, we haven't lost a really high draft pick out of it. I feel yeah, like that could probably work I got out. flamed for, for suggesting that uh... – we might get Charlie McAvoy <laughs> in, a, in a trade. Yeah, that's so. that's that's a little that's a little steep. I think at this that's, point uh, that didn't go over well. Um, Brett brings up a good point. He says he he can see this year and next year's deadline being a bit slow because of the expansion coming up. We kind of saw that a bit uh, when Vegas came into the league that uh, bigger deals weren't necessarily happening. Uh, because teams were preparing or had the roster set or close to set to make sure they could protect who they wanted to protect at the deadline. So, you know, a team adding Andre Kasha would, would likely have to protect him, I believe, if they wanted to keep him. So they would have to make sure that he's not taking up another spot or that they're going to lose him for nothing if they do want to bring him back. So that could also limit your suitors where a team who already has their set forwards doesn't want to go out and get another forward that they could lose for nothing and give up significant assets for. So that's going to be... Uh, you know that with the injury history could potentially limit a, you know a few a few teams off that list that could be interested. Um, yeah. Let's move on to another question. Uh, what makes them better than last year? Because right now the record says they weren't, but there yeah. are some signs I think that show they are at least playing better hockey. So what what do you think makes them better than last year, if anything? Let's see this team. Um... Damn, just just their their ability to stay in games. Uh, it, it, I mean, the record may not be there, but I feel like there's a lot more of those close games that we lose, and we're not we're not quite at 
that spot where you know like we're losing games to Washington three to two and then we go you know a few games where we keep losing by one goal and I feel like we're 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 close we're just not quite there and all of a sudden that becomes us on the other end of that and quite honestly if you look at it we're like nine points out of a playoff spot think of how many one game goals or one goal games we've had that we've lost and especially if we started earlier in the season with that one three one power play how many more power play goals kind of put us over there so we're not that distant whereas last year at this time even if we were similar distance away, I'm like, there's no way we're catching that. We're only living on goaltending. Now we're not living on goaltending. And although I wish goaltending was kind of back at that level, last year's goaltending with this year's style of play, yeah. we're in a completely different conversation. Oh, we're it's in just, a playoff they, spot. Yeah, they, they, they aren't hitting at the same cylinder. So it's like, this one was good, this one was bad, this one's better, this one's worse, and we just we're, we're just need to get here. <laughs> if we can just get here, we're good. So uh, this team's far more capable of staying in games, battling through games, and deserve wins. And sometimes they're not happening, and there's inconsistencies, and that's with a younger team. But last year was unwatchable. Yeah, and, Just and, and horrible hockey. Firebites kind of brings that up in our chat here. He says, they seem to be playing. Even while losing, they seem to be trying this year. Last year, it seems the team gave up on the coach. And I think that was a sentiment from a lot of Ducks fans last year. Uh, it, it just looks like they're trying this year, and it, the the style of hockey is better. It's more exciting to watch. There's, there's you know, goal scoring is still there's offense. Issue, there's some offense. Yeah, but we we've seen Chances. the guys that were supposed to score goals and supposed supposed to contribute to the offense and get Slav Silverberg and Raquel have better years, which is something we didn't see from them last Fowler. year. Fowler, yeah, Fowler's having oh. a, a better year, and and you could uh, you could chalk a lot of that up to the the system and the coach that's in place now, and, and I think the big reason it's hard to tell if they're better than last year record-wise is because of the goaltending. And I think that that transitions into our next topic pretty nicely because the topic I have here is what's wrong with the goaltending this year. And uh, if, you, if you look at the numbers through 37 games this year, the Ducks uh, are averaging as a team 31.5 shots against, which last year they were averaging 34.7 shots against per game. So defensively in just shots per game or shots against per game, it's a bit better. When you look at high danger chances against and, and scoring chances against, expected goals for, you know, Corsi for shot attempts against the, the Ducks. You know, I, I'm not going to list off every number, but if you go to Natural Stat Trick, you can look at the difference. And the Ducks are a better team defensively in front of their goaltenders this year than last year, and and you could say significantly better because they were so bad in front of their goaltenders <laughs> last year that they've made improvements. Whole team. <laughs> yeah, and, and by no means are they um, you know, a top 10 team in this league in terms of just team defense in front of their goaltenders, but they are significantly better than they were last year. But the, the, the big problem comes in just goaltender performance this year. And if you look at the numbers for John Gibson through 37 team games so far, his record is 11-14-2, 2.88 goals against average, and a .907 save percentage. At last year, through 37 games, 15, 10, and 4, 254 goals against average, and a 926 save percentage. And it's not just John Gibson, because you go to Ryan Miller this year, 4, 4, and 2, 3.21 goals against average, and a 901 save percentage. And last year, 7, 4, and 2, 271 goals against average, and a 922 save percentage. So big, big difference in terms of performance through the team's first 37 games this year and last year. Yeah, and I think it's gonna. Um, obviously, the the goalie, uh, the goaltending numbers are down, but I also think that what they were doing last year, um, 
might have spoiled a lot of fans into thinking that, oh, well, that's that's our average. I mean, if the team's bad and the goalie's like this, if the team's better, the goalie should be even better. Um, and you you would hope that might happen, but at the same time, uh, it, it was about half a, let's say two two thirds of an amazing unprecedented season for the amount of high quality danger chances that Gibson was turning away and Miller to that point, that's unsustainable. You, you can't do that. I mean, if it happens, you just go, well, all right, let's, let's, let's go get lottery tickets because we're, we're, we're lucking out here. There's just, it does not happen like that. And so to expect it season in and season out is, um, you know, a, a false sense of a security blanket. They, they're not there to just bail you out at every single turn. It's it's they're some of them are going to get in. Shooters are better. Shooters are quicker. Teams are getting a lot better at, at bringing in third, fourth guys to being a little bit more patient. And uh, you just you hope the goalie at this point because you can look across the board. Most goalies that were just stellar last year: Bobrovsky, Vasilevsky, horrible numbers. Price, yeah. horrible numbers. All of a sudden, like the the ins and out guys that you didn't see too often: Varlamov. I mean, he's just now in a system where all of a sudden he's really good. Uh, and uh, Kemper's doing, you know, amazing in Arizona. And it's just like guys that weren't all that good all of a sudden are starting to do good. And I think it's a little bit of a defensive posture of certain teams, the commitment for the entire team to play defense. And the Ducks right now, not that they don't have a commitment to defense, you got a lot of young players and a lot of young forwards. And now forwards have to be so instrumental in how the team plays defensively that a lot of times it's the third or fourth guy that comes in that ends up scoring the goal it's not necessarily the breakaway or the two-on-one although that seems to be happening a lot too so Mm -hmm. the goaltending numbers aren't great but there's kind of a reason behind it and i think everyone's expectation was okay we're going to be tops and it's like, oh, we're not tough. So what the hell's wrong with them? They're screwing up. Yeah. It's, it's Expectations were already high. I mean, the Ducks arguably had the best goalie. Yeah, they, they had the best goalie duel last year, right, in, in the mm-hmm. NHL. And I think expectation was it was going to be there again. And and I think, you know, obviously they've – I don't want to say they've fallen off the face of the earth, but the numbers are, are, are very different from where they finished last year and where they're at this point. And I think that big difference is what's scaring, scaring fans off a little bit. But – they're not the only ones, right? You mm-hmm. mentioned a couple there, and Bobrovsky and Vasilevsky, who are routinely Vesna favorites year in and year out, and you know Bobrovsky and a new team struggling a bit. He's actually started turning things around, and, and his, as you know, the team his, has, yeah, his numbers over the last you know six or seven starts for him have been very, very good, back to to kind of his standard. Vasilevsky's slowly kind of started to turn things around. Same for Carey Price, and you know for some of these top goalies, and I think. That comes with the territory. I mean, you know, every player has bad stretches here and there. With goaltenders, it's a bit more noticeable because they're the only guy back there. They're the only, usually, you know, starting goaltender of the quality of John Gibson, Bobrovsky, and Vasilevsky. Headlines are a bit more on them when they're struggling than it is, say, for a player like Ricard Raquel or Jakob Silverberg. So you kind of notice it a bit more, and especially the season John Gibson had last year. You know, I think eventually he's going to turn the corner here and have a stretch just like Bobrowski is having now where he's six or seven starts. He's just lights out, and, and that kind of bumps his numbers back up to what his career average would be. Now, do I think he's going to finish the season on a 907 save percentage? I doubt it. I, I think he'll get back up to you know somewhere north of 915, 916 around league average. And during that time, if the Ducks are playing the way they are, they should – probably win more games if John Gibson gets back to playing the way he or even close to the way he was last year and the you know the 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 type of play we know he's capable of so 
it, it's just a down year, unfortunately. And it's tough mm-hmm. for the Ducks because that was the strength of theirs last year and something they relied on. And if they had that goaltending this year, you could argue they'd have, you know, six to ten more points right now in some of these close games and, and you know, different games that they've played this year where goaltending could have pushed, uh, pushed them in, you know, a couple points in their favor. And that would put them close to a playoff spot. You know, do I think they're a playoff team? No. But good goaltending can kind of creep you in there. And, and when you're not getting it, you end up being in a position you are right now where you're near the bottom of the Western Conference and, and all your other flaws are kind of elevated. The fact that the Ducks can't score goals and you know the defense uh, has been relatively suspect at times this year due to injuries and now the injuries up front are, are playing into that. So it's tough when you don't have kind of you know reliable goaltending this year to back that up. Yeah, and just, just to kind of put a cap on it there, it's just most most people don't, necessarily understand goaltending or or what it takes or how goalies have to play and so when you don't understand something and it's a singular person that is in charge of that that's where you get a lot of that focus like oh he should have stopped that even though you don't necessarily know why he didn't save it or what else was going on in the play when it's a defensive breakdown usually it's multiple people and so you can try and blame oh that uh, you know that guy or this guy on defense or the forwards as a group like there's a group of forwards there's a group of defense there's one goalie and if the goalie maybe makes a mistake or you know does something that you go like well i don't understand why he did that he's obviously not he doesn't know what he's doing he's off his game and a lot of times he's, he's doing the right thing and it's still not working for him so a lot of times it's easy to kind of focus on the goalie and say oh it's his problem that's me i'm defending it because i'm a goalie no no it, it, it is fair <laughs> enough and it is easy to pick out goaltender mistakes than it is an individual player in a play sometimes unless it's an egregious turnover i, I think just mm-hmm. because <laughs> of how obvious it is to kind of go back and look at a replay of, of a goal and and you know a turnover necessarily doesn't get the same coverage uh, unless obviously you know unless it's a horrible turnover uh, yeah. as it would a you know a bad goal against a against a goaltender a um, couple things to to kind of to cover here before we get into the shootout uh yanny hackenpot was called up i guess tonight uh, not official yet, but according to the AHL transaction page, uh, he's been moved up to the Ducks roster. Hmm. I hope he gets another shot. It would be nice. Uh, he wasn't a big signing, but he was one of the more intriguing ones in the offseason. The fact that he's been playing in Finland for you know the last, I think, five to, to six seasons and, and you know, pretty playing pretty good at a, at a pretty high level over there. And it is one of the top... Uh, top leagues outside the NHL so it is nice to, to see a guy come over and you kind of have those those high hopes that he could be a, a solid force and so far preseason and in in San Diego he hasn't looked great but it would be nice for the Ducks to have another right shot <laughs> uh, right side option for him to come up and play well and, and I think it is tough you know coming over from playing in Finland or in Europe for so long and then trying to adapt again to the NHL ice at, you know, 27, yeah. 28 years old, it, it is tough. And, you know, preseason, you know, you kind of expect those struggles because he is just adapting to that game again. And maybe, you know, spending most of the season in San Diego now, he'll come back up and maybe he's a bit more adjusted to, you know, the NHL size ice and just being in North America again. And, and hopefully, hopefully he succeeds because the Ducks need, desperately need some help on, on right defense right now. Yeah. I mean, uh, when you start looking at the, I'm sorry, uh, with with Manson, just yeah, been tough uh, couple of games for him. Yeah, it's 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 been a, a struggle for him to come back, and uh, 
And Gabrunson, I mean, that's that's kind of worked out. But, you know, I guess if he can find someone else to be a right-handed shot and somewhere to fit in and not be a, a, a drawback, you, let's let's hope. Yeah, let's hope because Holzer is playing forward right now and uh, it's Manson and Gabrunson show. <laughs> right. uh, still no call for Chris Weidman, which is surprising. He's still scoring down in San Diego, still playing well. And uh, almost a similar situation to Sprong, where everybody else in front of him seems to be getting called up. But uh, no, no, Sprong recently did, but no Weidman yet. Uh, maybe eventually. And I know it's hard, you know, for San Diego to, to want this guy to get called up or to move him up the way he's playing, the way he's contributing to that team. It's it's tough to remove a guy like that from the lineup, especially right now because the goals are completely decimated up front. With mm-hmm. you know. A, <laughs> Good portion. But everyone of getting called six. up. <laughs> yeah, Lundestrom, Carrick, you know, one of Comtoir Jones, Jones yeah. up as well. Like all these guys getting called up, and, and their roster kind of, at least their top six, kind of getting obliterated at this point. So, if so Weidman's, is ours. So. <laughs> yeah, so is ours. So I guess it matters a bit more. But if Weidman's contributing offensively down there, it, it, I think it is a tough go to try and take him as well. And maybe they are more, you know, inclined to give Yanni Hackenpah a chance because. I guess they, I would like to say they banked a bit harder on him to succeed than they did Chris Weidman. Yeah, I think Chris Weidman was pretty much like, listen, unless there is just a significant amount of defensive injuries, and even then there have been, uh, the fact that they aren't calling him up is just more like, listen, you're AHL for us. You're just, we, we want you there. You're the rock. You're that, that veteran yeah. presence there. You just... You tell the kids how it is, what to expect, that sort of deal, and they're going to look forward to you telling them how how it is. So other than that, you're not really going to come up here and provide too much more than any of our five, six guys might. Yeah, maybe at some point. I still would like to see him get a shot. I always like to see guys get rewarded for for good play down in the AHL, and, and obviously this is a position in need for the Ducks at the NHL level on right shot defense, so hopefully at some point he gets a call up. Uh, last thing before the shootout, just kind of recapping and going back to Will Jr.'s news. Uh, as I mentioned, Trevor Zegrist and Lucas Dostal have made their teams. Uh, Benoit, Olivier Grew, and Trevor Yannicky were both late cuts. More uh, more salt in the wound for Benoit, Olivier Grew, unfortunately, because the Team Canada had to make one more cut, and he was the last player cut to, to get the roster down from 24 to 23. Yeah, they were they were at twenty four. They played their final game. Grew was centering a line, I think the fourth line for them or third line for them. Uh, played a decent game, not spectacular, and uh, unfortunately, uh, he was the very last cut to get the roster down from twenty four to twenty three. Uh, and he was a guy I thought was going to be a lock uh, when he first made the team. And I don't want to say he played his way off the team. I just think other guys played their way on. Uh, the guy who ended up beating was an uh, undrafted, uh, or I guess a draft eligible prospect this year uh dawson mercer who scored two goals i think in the last game for canada so kind of scored his way onto the roster and unfortunately that left uh benoit Olivier grew in the dust and then today trevor yannicky also uh one of the final three cuts for the u.s after their preliminary game today uh, i don't want to say it's surprising i think it was kind of expected a little bit more optimism after he made it through the first round of cuts but yeah. He'll be heading back to Notre Dame and, and hopefully continuing a strong season there because um, I, I think, you know, Zegris and Dostal were kind of the guys we knew were going to make it anyway. 
Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. Like you said, he's what third third line on Notre Dame. So I mean, it, yeah. it's a it's a good good chance he got got a good look at it, and uh, you know went as as far as he did. So yeah, says something that he actually got the the call to be on that roster because of his play to begin with. I mean, he was a yeah. fifth round pick for the Ducks, so. Something to look forward to. There, right? yeah. Similar similar to Troy Terry a bit as well. Maybe he's there next year. If he, yeah. if he has a good season this year and starts the NCAA season next year, uh, kind of plays a little bit similar to Troy Terry as well. So maybe uh, maybe he follows a similar path and makes the team in his second year. Because I don't think Troy Terry even made it uh, in his, after his draft year either. So uh, I think he ended up playing the year after that. So that's just kind of the way it goes sometimes. And we'll be looking forward to, to Trevor Zegris and, and Lucas Dostal playing uh, starting on uh, December 26th. Um, is that going to be on TV for, for most people? Or? I, I know here it is. I, I don't. I think in the U.S. They, they probably will air the U.S. games, so you'll be able to see yeah. Trevor Zegers. I'm not sure. Probably, probably much, NHL Network if you get yeah, it. Yeah. I'm not sure how much coverage the U.S. does of all the other games. So as of watching you know, Czech Republic play <laughs> and seeing Lucas I remember. I think, I think last year, I remember around Christmas, I, I was like, no, this we, yeah, they, they've covered a lot speak more. To it. I, I, I know here TSN has you five channels, <laughs> so they, they play every game on. At, at, at any game that's on, they always play it. So I'll be keeping an eye on, on Secrets and Dawson. I'm going to be um, putting up an article for the Hockey Writers tonight, uh, just kind of just kind of previewing, I guess, the two prospects who made it and the two prospects who didn't, how close they came. Just a short little preview before, uh, before the game started December 26th. But let's get into the shootout because we missed it on the last podcast, which I guess doesn't matter because that doesn't really matter. <laughs> anyway, but it's the the shootout brought to you by Cool Hockey, where we kind of bring up some of the uh, the hottest topics in the NHL right now, and one that I guess is kind of outdated now, but it was big news back when we put it in here was Taylor Hall getting traded to the Arizona Coyotes in back in the Pacific Division to the Pacific Division leading Arizona Coyotes. So. Big, big news. And the New Jersey Devils get back a couple conditional picks, conditional first and conditional third. That could turn into another first. Uh, Kevin Ball, Nate Schnarr, and I'm forgetting the uh, the third guy. He was another prospect they got. But decent haul for a pure rental. And uh, New, New Jersey a haul also, for a haul? Haul for a haul. <laughs> not a, not a great haul. I, I had you know I was kind of down on what New Jersey got, but I guess as a pure uh-huh. rental, no uh, no contract signed. That's uh, I guess what you can expect as a first round pick, a, a decent collection of prospects, and another conditional th- uh, third that could turn to a first if he resigns with uh, with Arizona Coyotes. Yeah, I think it was pretty obvious. Hall was not going to resign with New Jersey. I I felt. Uh, even though they they got a lot of stuff in the off season to really kind of convince him to stay, that start was just you know the 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 death punch right there. So uh, I felt like he was like, all right, this team's out of it. I don't care if you got Wayne Simmons, you got uh, um, a PK Subban, and we got Hughes. It's just this team's just down. And uh, if he wasn't going to resign and stay in New Jersey, then whatever they could get for him was all money because it was all a lost cause they weren't going to do all that would do is keeping hall was maybe gonna actually bump them up in the standings which means a worse draft pick so why not get rid of them retool that whole prospect the draft picks hopefully get an even lower seed to possibly even get a first round draft pick again and uh, see where it goes from there so 
when you look at it as a pure, we weren't going to resign this dude. So it's either lose him or get a bunch of, of draft picks and prospects. I, I feel it was the best thing New Jersey could have done. And it was a great move for the, uh, for the Coyotes because their biggest problem last year was not their defense or their goaltending. It was their offense. And they added a Kessel in the offseason. And now they're adding arguably one of the, the top 10, you know, yeah. I would say playmaking forward, not playmaking forwards, but, um, you know, self-driving forwards, you know, someone who can just do something with no one around them. And uh, hopefully that translates to, you know, they kind of bumps them up, in my opinion, as uh, one of the better teams in the Pacific Division. They're a little bit more legitimate now. Yeah, and I think it's three points and three games for Taylor Hall. Scored his first goal the other night. And I think the the hope for the Coyotes is that putting him in a line with Phil Kessel also gets Phil Kessel going. Yeah, he's a little been slow. kind of a rocky start for him. I mean, these guys, both of these guys, Hall and Kessel, are former 90-point guys within the last couple of years. And uh, Kessel really hasn't brought that over to Arizona so far. And uh, and I think the hope is Taylor Hall gets a bounce back. And, and, you know, right now I don't think he'd finish at 90 points. He'd have to play very, very well over a point per game for the Coyotes to hit that. But even but he's in the right to, division for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, he's going to be playing against uh, some fairly weak teams in San Jose and, and L.A. and Anaheim uh, on, on, a, you know, on occasion. And, and the Oilers, who are decent but defensively and, and I guess in net they're they're very inconsistent. So yeah. he's he's got some teams that he can definitely feast on. Calgary's another one. Vancouver as well. So you know pretty much every team in the Pacific there is some issues in net or issues defensively where Taylor Hall and and Phil Kessel could create some sort of partnership with each other. The the only thing I think if I was New Jersey, I still kinda think you could have got more at the deadline. And and there's a bit of a risk in waiting and hoping and seeing I think they they liked the package they were going to get from Arizona, and, and they didn't want to take that risk that they wouldn't get anything better at the deadline. Paul gets injured again because wasn't he injured a yeah, whole lot last year? Sit him, yeah, you can't sit him all the way until February, so there is that risk as well that uh, he gets injured, then you can't trade him. So there, there's a lot of risk involved there, but I, I feel like they could have gotten more at the deadline from a desperate team looking to to get there but then you know somebody made the, the kind of counter argument to that is some of these teams that are willing to get them now maybe they're out of it come February mm-hmm. there, there's no you know there's no um it's not possible to say that Arizona could be out of the playoff picture come yeah. February if they didn't get Taylor Hall yeah I mean there's there's two other thoughts I would think from a New Jersey perspective obviously we're not in New Jersey or New Jersey Devils management so we wouldn't really know exactly what they're being told uh, but there's a lot of teams that are maybe surprising themselves and go like, wow, we haven't been here before. Wow, we got a real good shot. Wow, let's really just go for it. I mean, like, yeah. you know, Columbus could have been sellers, and they're like, no, we got a chance to actually do something. We're just going to hold on to these guys and work out that great. But, I mean, so from a New Jersey perspective, they knew it was done, and they'd be kind of in a, um, you know, uh, you know, I guess a less advantageous spot, especially if Hall got injured. And then um, the other point is too is I think they were they were pretty damn close to making the trade with Florida. Yeah. And they were and they were so like just I guess in that moment ready to just move on and like let's get this out, let's get that, and then it just whatever it was, he sat for two games and then they couldn't make it happen. They're like, I think in their mind, like, all right, we have the, moved on, we have moved on, so let's just that. find something. Yeah. I think Florida wasn't willing to to bring him in and pay the assets if they they couldn't sign him through an extension. And Taylor Hall and his agent uh, at this point aren't even willing to to discuss. He's going to test a free. He's going to test yeah. free agency. So he'll get more I think money. He wants I mean, to pick and choose. 
it, it makes sense for Taylor Hall yeah. personally as a player to wait mm-hmm. to free agency and, and test the market there where he's going to be the star of free agency, you know, the big fish in, in free agency where mm-hmm. some team uh, is going to pay him way more way money than him. he would get an extension <laughs> with Arizona or Florida right now. I mean, both of those teams are pretty close to the cap. Would have made any deal, you know, a lot more difficult to try and get him out. And I think the big thing for him this year is just to play, play somewhere, play well. You know, it's it's again, it's a unrestricted free agent year for Taylor Hall. So wherever he goes, he just wants to go there, get it done with, move as soon as he can, and and play well, and hopefully go into the playoffs and do well with whatever team he's on. And that's only going to up his value when it comes to free agency. And then again, yeah, he has that choice, and I think he really yeah. wants that choice. And he wants to be wined and dined. He, want, he wants that free agency. He wants teams to fly him out. Hey, check yeah. out our facilities. Do you want to go to expensive dinner? Our treat. He wants to be wine and dine, so yeah, he'll he'll be the, real, the big free agent. The real interesting thing for me is the who was the runner up reportedly for Taylor Hall, and that was the Calgary Flames were were the runners up for for Taylor Hall, according to Pierre LeBron, I think, or Elliot Friedman, huh. one of those two guys had mentioned that yeah, Calgary was right in the mix, but they they weren't willing to grab some assets and they weren't willing to do it without an extension and and risk him not coming back. But I, I, I highly suspect Calgary to be one of those teams in the offseason to I push hard in free agency. He's a, he's an out, he's a kid. He's from, from near the Calgary area, I believe. They want to stick it to Edmonton. That, and yeah. That, and and I, a, I got your girl. I got your girl. Yeah. Uh, she, she's happy here. She has something to maybe do with it. But I, I also believe, I mean, they, they feel like they have a real good shot of signing this guy to a, a long-term contract because family plays into it. Where they can be like, you'll be able to play close to where you grew up, close to where your family lives, and uh, you know, I, I believe I don't know for sure, but I believe he was a Flames fan growing up, so they got that whole John Tavares thing working for uh, them there. So it's possible. I think he just wants to win. I mean, I think that's yeah, I can't remember if, if I you know, where I heard it, but I heard it was like he's, he's just more interested in winning at this point. So I, I think it's you know similar to. Um, Who's the one who went to, uh, was it, uh, who went to uh, to Nashville in the offseason? Duchesne. Duchesne, where it's just like he, he's, he, at least in his mind, he thinks he's on a team that's going to win. Like he's just, he's ready to win, and that's what he wants to do. And, you know, obviously he's going to get big player bucks, but he's going to be a little bit more in charge of exactly where he's played, where he's he's been handcuffed, where he's had to play in Edmonton, then gets traded for peanuts. Uh, and plays in New Jersey, has a heart trophy to show for it, and then he just, just did, what, made the playoffs one one year in his whole career, I think, something like that. Yeah. And so, I mean, he'll get a little taste of it, I think, in Arizona, at least uh, in getting the playoffs. But I think at this point, he's arguably passed halfway through his career. So I think at this point, it's like, you know, I want the money, but I also want to play for a team that's going to compete. So yeah, fair enough. Maybe I it's mean, Calgary, maybe it's not. I don't know. He watched Panarin get paid and, and also get to pick which team he wanted to go to in the Rangers. So I, I feel like he wants to kind of go the same route there. Um, Brett asked, are Arizona the real deal or is the Pacific Division that weak? I, I think it's both. Yes. I think they're a really <laughs> good team. Say, yes. I think they're a really good team because defensively they, you know, they've they had a lot of guys step up. Ekman Larson has been good. Jacob Chikrin has really stepped up. Uh, Goligoski has been good. So they're, they're kind of just – decently okay on defense but then you add a player like taylor hall and then you get just a goaltending duo of kemper and ranta who that could be the best goaltender duo in the nhl yeah except kemper's on ir now after giving up seven goals and uh, ranta's been good ranta's good ranta's great 
you know. Um, but Kemper kind of took it from him. So, you know, it depends how long Kemper's out. I don't, I haven't heard officially. The only reason I know he's on the IR is because he's on my uh, fantasy team. So, yeah, so <laughs> so we'll we'll see where it goes. But uh, you know, um, even when they brought in Hall, I think that I think that was the first game where they gave up like seven goals or something like that. Or there was, like was a giant shootout. It was, it was like insane. So uh, you know. We'll see. It's uh, Arizona can be good if they just stick to their defense and their goaltending, and then Hall ignites Kessel, and that's. I mean, that that was the biggest problem earlier. Like we already said, it was just their offense wasn't there. If they can do that, then then they're good, and they're in a, a crappy division to make it work. Even uh, Vegas isn't doing good, and Edmonton's floundering away right now. So it's it's kind of their division to take at this point. Speaking of uh, shootout-type games, did you see the, the score between Toronto and Carolina today? <laughs> was it 8-5 or something? 8-7, uh, eight, I think. 8-7. Eight, I was way off. I think, or 8-6 was the final. <sighs> um, the big thing from that game is Toronto was leading 3 nothing. Uh-huh. Carolina scored three goals in 64 seconds and then Dude, had a five, five, five unanswered to lead 5-3. And then the Leafs scored a goal and then they scored three in 59 seconds to take the lead <laughs> anything seven, you six. can do i can do yeah. better and they took the lead seven six and then ended up winning eight six uh in that game oh, but yes. uh unreal game and speaking yeah. of one of the reasons i brought it up because andre svechnikov plays for the carolina hurricanes and we didn't get a chance to talk about this the second time but he's done the michigan move again He's nice. I'm glad he called it the Michigan. I yeah, like that. I, I like that we're rubbing off on you. Upset that last time I called it the lacrosse school. <laughs> lacrosse school. Yeah. It's getting close <laughs> to being being called the Svechnikov if he does it again. I mean, he's Absolutely. the only guy to pull it off in an NHL game ever, and he's done it twice in one year. Oh, on the NHL. Oh, okay. Yeah, in an um, NHL game, he's the only one to pull it off. Someone else did guys it. Guys have tried. No, he was the no, first. No, someone else did it. They did it this season too. I can't remember who it was. So. Yeah, someone else did it because Fischikov did it, and then I feel like it was like Tyler Ennis tried, a, and but there was Dante a week Bravo or so later, him. someone someone also pulled it off. I don't think, but so. it was yeah, but yeah, no, I think so. I have to Google way, it. Fischikov has <laughs> done it twice this year, and uh, yeah. it, it, it's pretty unbelievable. I mean, he we see we saw him doing this in practice, and and kind of. This is his thing. This is his go-to. Second time was a lot more impressive than the first time. The way he was in motion on this one wasn't stopped behind the net. Just decided to pull it out. And uh, Hellebuck was in good position to make the save. And and Sveshnikov just kind of tucked it in there. But this is becoming uh, his go-to. And as fun as the Hurricanes were to watch last year, they're almost even more fun to watch this year with the way Sveshnikov is playing. (laughs) No, um... They're not as much fun because Don Cherry is not around anymore to get mad at it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. I'm I'm not as impressed as everybody else, and I don't know if that's just me playing roller hockey and also playing. I saw I see this so much. Like it's no, it's, not it's not even like it's not high level players that even do it. I mean, like everyone can do it. Like I know the second the shoulders drop and the behind the net. You know where if whatever side they're going, I just put my thing in the top corner. That's all I do. It's a blocker or it's a glove, and I just hold it there. And they either hit me or you know they go oh crap, yes, and then they try and throw it somewhere else, and the they lose. Level it. of play of that guy compared to Andre Svechnikov, the ability to place it in that, I feel like 
I just Andre feel like goalies that move once, off once they're roller hockey and he'd be able to score on you. <laughs> once once it's it's a known thing that happens, then goalies will learn how to adapt to it. And so you'll you'll see the tendency. Like I said, I I got I've been scored on that that way anyways. And and I've seen guys do it like they don't even try. Like it's especially in roller hockey, the puck's a lot lighter. They can do it way, way faster, sure. a lot less defense. But in that in that respect, it's just I've learned, like, all I have to do is just see what the player starts to do and how they, they move their shoulders. The second they're behind the net and they just do this little dip, they're not looking for a pass. They're looking to, I'm doing something with the puck. And I've seen the guys take it, they flip it over, they try to skate around to the front and smack it out of midair. So it's just, they'll learn. And especially if that's your, your name. And I'm just not as impressed because I've seen a lot of it. So, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, good for it, him. It is a move like I've seen, we've seen like, a lot of players and junior pull off and more space down there. Skill level is just a big gap. You never used to be allowed to do it. That was it. Like the unwritten rule. You try that crap and you're getting punched in the face before you even get the shot off. Yeah. Now Um, it's, it's we saw Tyler Ennis try it the other night against national predators, not as smooth. And Dante (laughs) Fabro slashed his stick down. I think he tried it against Rene too, which is, I mean, if you're trying it against UC sorrows, that's fair. I think sorrows is like five ten. but good luck trying to put that in over a six, seven Pekka Rene. Like that's, that's all, all you need is about that much. You don't need much. Just true. Fling it in. Yeah. Um, last NHL news we had to before we have like a couple fan questions we have to get to. But the last thing was um, quick one. Lias Anderson, former seventh overall pick from the New York Rangers, requested a trade. Uh, this was the guy, if you don't remember him, who when the Swedes won silver in the World Juniors, he threw his silver medal into the stance. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's that guy, yeah. Um, bit mismanaged. Oh, yeah, and now he's bitching about what team he's on. All right, this yeah. guy sounds like a problem. It's a bit mis- of mismanagement from the Rangers where uh hasn't really gotten the chance to succeed. They've been kind of hiding him in the AHL, to which they've been doing with a lot of their prospects. I, I mean, this year Vitaly Kravtsov – I uh, went back to Russia because the Rangers did not want to call him up. They wanted him to play in Hartford, and he didn't agree. Went back to Russia, struggled there, and now he's back in Hartford. So the, the Rangers have a few prospects who aren't too happy to either to, to sit in the AHL and not play in the NHL, and it looks like you know that's boiled over for Anderson, who's now requested a trade. Uh, interesting decision making uh, on his part. The, you know, the Rangers. I guess you can you know, put some fault there, um, but this is a guy who clearly does not want to be a part of the long-term picture for the New York Rangers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? It's it's weird, yeah. It's a lot of times now. It seems like, well, I don't know if it's because, like, the everyone's prime is so much closer, you know, like so yeah. much earlier in their People career. People are so quick and to now they label feel a guy like a bust. Yeah, if I'm, and if I'm like one or two seasons in or something and I haven't gotten that ch- chance, you almost feel like you're running out of time, specifically as a forward. I think defense, you, you get a little bit more time. Goalies get even more time to try and get in there. But if you're a forward and you're not making an immediate impact or you're not on the team consistently, and especially if you're a high draft pick, you almost feel like, well, what am I doing here? And, you know, you know, I, I, I'd rather go play somewhere where someone needs me and I can be in the NHL and try and prove what I got versus maybe waiting it out. So I'm still of it. It's like, I feel like every team would want you to be the best player. And if you are eligible and at that level, they'll let you play there. And if you're not, don't sit there and go like, well, they're just misusing me. It's like, you haven't worked your way through our depth chart. We've seen you play. We've seen what other players do, and there's things you got to work on before you get here. So, yeah, 
I mean, would you he's, take a shot at this guy right now? Because he's 21. He'll be still he's just turned 21 in August, so he was 20 to, to kind of enter this season. He had six points in 42 games last year, only one assist in 17 NHL games this year. He's got five points in 13 AHL games, so production obviously an issue. But he's a former seventh overall pick, and it's not one of those busts. You have first overall picks that never no, amount to anything. No, for sure. For sure. I, I, but it, it's not one of those Nick Ritchie, Jake Vertanen type picks where you're like, ah, they, they drafted this guy because of size. And the skill just can't translate. This was supposed to be a skill guy. Drafted a bit that higher than he should have gone. But it hasn't <laughs> translated. But he is also only 21. And, and you know, if you could get him for cheaper right now if you're the Ducks. Then what's he going to do? He's going to want to He's gonna request another trade because he's not jumping in at the top line. And if he's not producing, why the hell would you have him? I mean, at that young, and you, you think potential at that young where he hasn't shown anything yet. Well, he's got potential. We'll work on it. He's not willing to work within that system. He's throwing away silver medals because he's not happy. I mean, it just it seems more like he expects to be in the NHL just because he was drafted high. And yep. until you prove it, or you go this through the effort. Then, then why? Yeah, it's just like it, the Ducks. I don't think the Ducks really want to bring in someone that's going to be more of a uh, a locker room hindrance. Uh, and especially so young and showing it. I mean, he might mature and, and move on, but that's great. But until you okay. see it, it you're gambling that that's going to happen and that prediction is going to follow as a result. I, I just think the, the the kind of point I would make to, to bring him here <laughs> is I think he's got some familiar faces of, of former teammates. He played with Isaac Lindstrom in the World Juniors. and. Uh. and and you know he's Country. a lot of Swedes in in the Ducks lineup, of course. And I just feel like it it potentially could be a good fit, like we talked about earlier in the show, and change the scenery for certain players. Potentially, it could work out. I I still think he's a player that eventually will play in the NHL. Whether it's fulfilling that seventh overall pick, I think that's he's got a long way to go to getting that. But some players just do develop at a slower pace, and I, and I don't think I'm ready to label a 20, 21 year old a bust because they haven't figured things out in what well, he's played 66 NHL games across his career so far. I think it's a bit early to say he's a bust. I mean, he's at the same point as Sam Steele, Maxime Comtois, Max Jones, and we're not label, labeling them as busts. You know, they've No, but they're also not requesting better. trades or throwing silver medals no, into the crowd. No, for <laughs> sure. But it, we've had players do that in the past, and they've moved to a different team, and, and, and that's been worked out, and they felt more comfortable. Whether it's you know bringing Elias Anderson over, giving him a shot, and and if he goes down to the AHL, work things out that way. But I think it's still you know with the depth the Ducks have at center right now, and and the fact that clearly some of these guys aren't ready for full time NHL duties, it's not bad to give another guy a shot. If you can get him for cheap, I mean, if you get him for a third round pick, that's the big thing. Pick, yeah. I don't think the Rangers are going to do that. I don't think they're going to turn over a seventh overall pick for a third or fourth right round now guy. They have no no leverage at all. This guy is yeah. not reporting to Hartford. He's not playing. They have to trade him because he's not playing. Just, or just let him sit. I mean, they could. They could do a Steve Eisman with Jonathan Drouin and let him sit. Or yeah. what the Islanders have done with Josh Hosang, where Josh Hosang hasn't reported to Bridgeport for the entire season, was in Toronto, and finally just reported again because the Islanders won the battle. And mm-hmm. they said, we're just not going to trade you. You can sit out until your contract expires, and then nobody's going to take you. So if you want to yeah. play in the NHL again, you got to come back. So the Rangers could do that. They very well could. But, I think they're um, in a position to do it. 
They are. They, they yeah. again. They they have no he's, leverage. He's, he's, yeah, we we got Kako. Uh, he's he's, he's yeah. better. He can play, and uh, he's, he doesn't have an and attitude. They've got problem. guys like Philip Heedle who were drafted after Elias Anderson, who's playing in the NHL and doing well. So, just as much as the Rangers have no leverage in terms of play, teams coming to them and wanting to give certain assets for him, Elias Anderson has no leverage at all. Uh, on the Rangers, he can't force them to trade him. He can just not play, and you know decide how long he wants to sit out, right? So, mm-hmm. and and there's instances in the past where players who sat out have gotten traded right away. And I just named two: and Drewan and Hosang, who are recent, who sat out and didn't didn't necessarily pay off for them. Eventually, it paid off for Drewan in getting traded to the Montreal Canadiens, but he sat out for a very long time before eventually re-reporting back to Syracuse and, and playing. And uh, Hosang is the most recent one, and he still hasn't been traded. And I believe he is playing for Bridgeport right now. So we'll see. We'll see if that uh, that happens. Uh, we already went over an hour 15, as we always do. So last, uh, <laughs> last question I want to wrap it up with, because I feel like it is a wrap-up question. We got it on Instagram from, if I can find the name, Ducks or Derek Russell. He said, what do you expect from the Ducks for the next three to four seasons? <laughs> Very broad very yeah. broad question. So let's summarize it like this: Do you see like what? How competitive do you see the see the Ducks in in three to four years? Do you see them being playoff team, out of the playoffs, you know, division winners, conference winners, Stanley Cup contenders? Where do you see them? I have an unrealistic ops optimism about this season still that there's a, a chance that they can still sneak into a, a non-division spot that that'd be a tall order unless Edmonton really drops off and Calgary and Vancouver really kind of stumble along the way the Ducks got to get their game together and they definitely got to get out of that that injury bug that seems to plague them all the time they just don't have the personnel anymore to to battle through it the system is good the players are good and can be great under this system. It just hasn't come to fruition yet, and I think a lot of that is younger players and learning the consistency of the part of the game. The Ducks have a few holes to fill. Their goaltending, in my opinion, is solid. Their defense can be better, but it's still fairly solid. And we got young forwards, and I think that we are in a position that we can start making the playoffs consistently and building upon the youth that we have with the skill that we have, we need a breakout player that we have not gotten yet. And when or where that happens, I'm not sure specifically if we're also going to have an expansion draft and throws a whole wrench into the other plan. Um, Right around that time, uh, Bob Murray's contract starts to come up. And if the ducks haven't really produced, then we could be talking about a different GM in three or four years. And then who knows what direction, direction they want to go but given if everything stays somewhat consistent and just what we've known from in the past versus what's happening now and the near future the ducks are still going to be a contending team they are not going to be the powerhouse if you want to call it that that they were for a few years back where you consistently saw them going to the playoffs and going far in the playoffs third or fourth round i just i don't quite see that yet unless we make some significant additions offensively to this team it's tough to to kind of predict what they're going to do in frequency or trades or even who they're going to draft and how quickly those players are going to get like three to four seasons is a decent amount of time eternity whoever you get this year in the draft could make an instant impact or could be ready in three to four seasons um if i had to just estimate i think the ducks will 
could be one of the top five teams in the Western Conference in three to four years. So, you know, a top 10 team in the NHL, which I don't think is out of possibility. You'd have to think, you know, Raquel and Silverberg are still going to be in their primes. You're going to have a player like Trevor Zegras, who's going to be three or four seasons into his NHL career, hopefully developing into the player we all hope he's going to be. Um, You know, further development from Steele, Comtois, Jones, Terry, Braden Tracy at that point as well. Uh, ben Wiley, we grew, like depending on how all these guys do. And, and I think, you know, depending on their development and how they do and who the Ducks draft this year, you can start filling in those holes that you you need with the assets you have. You know, just like when the Ducks had a, an abundance of defensemen, young defensemen they could trade to, to kind of get assets. It didn't obviously work out for them, but the Ducks will eventually be in that position, I think, up front where if they draft a goal scorer this year, you know, top-end goal scorer like Alex Holtz or Cole Perfetti to play with Trevor Zegras, and they have Ricard Raquel and Jakob Silverberg, they're not going to need all of Troy Terry, Sam Steele, Max Jones, Maxim Comtois, Braden Tracy, Ben Wiley-Vigreau. If those are all, you know, top nine or, or bottom six even NHL players, you're going to have some young guys you could trade and maybe bring in that right-shot defenseman you're looking for goaltending is already solidified you've got john gibson and potentially lucas dostal who can come in and be a very solid backup they've got all these pieces in place and they've got the assets to add later down the road from a position of strength to bring in any further holes they need to fill and you have to think you know a top five top ten pick this year is going to help accelerate that bit uh you know first round pick from from two seasons from now could be in the NHL in three, in three to four years when the, when the Ducks are looking to be contenders. So I could see them with what they have now and the potential of what they could add later being a, a top-five Western Conference team and a team that's at least making it past the first couple rounds of the playoffs. Yeah, and then, yeah, and then we don't have a Carlisle or a uh, um, Bruce Brujo screwing up. I mean, Bob Murray <laughs> might not be there. And Dallas Aikens yeah. might not be there. So we'll have, to, yeah. we'll have to see who's there at that point. All we know is the Ducks do have... Uh, a decent future in front of them with the prospects and, and young players they have in place and, and, and important positions. I think you know the big one is having John Gibson for the foreseeable future and, and knowing that you're going to have a, a very, very good starting goaltender is always a great position to start from. That's a lot of team-friendly contracts, too. Yeah, for sure. Um, last thing, <laughs> not a question. I just want to give uh, William J. Lewis a shout out because he did uh, DM us a question for the show. He said his question was, "Are the Ducks likely to sell at the trade deadline, and do they have anything worth trading?" That was already a segment we were going to cover today, and we did cover yeah. today. But I just wanted to give him a shout out for uh, sending Aww. us that question. So thank again, you. If, if yeah, if you do have any questions, uh, you can always be in chat and ask them like we've had Brett and, and realize and Firebites ask us today in our Twitch chat. You can DM us at any time. We always post a questions thing before the show on, on our Instagram story if you want to throw them in there. You can send them us on Twitter, Facebook, wherever, and we'll always answer them on the show. So thanks again uh, to William for sending us that question and everybody else today as well. Uh, as for our next show, um, I forget what we said it was going to be. I think it'll be after the new year because it's so. well. Was it? Yeah, because I think I we think were taking it was either out. December thirtieth or January. Yeah, 1st. that's right. Yeah, I think we were going to do the the Monday, right? December thirtieth. Yeah. So like like in a week. If you're looking for the return of Pat, that might be the return. 
That might we be hope. Pat's return. We hope that will be the return for Pat uh, <laughs> in, in either the uh, December 30th or January 1st show. If not that show, then hopefully the, the one after that. We're all looking forward to 2020. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, 2020. Pat, mm-hmm. we can make jokes that Pat hasn't been on the show in a year. No, it's here. So, but uh, either way, we're all looking forward to Pat getting back on the show. So we'll, we'll kind of update the news on that. Um, and for our Patreon listeners, we do have a Pucks and Brews and a Rant show coming before the new year because we owe you that for the month of December. So that will also be coming. And hopefully another Bobby's Bargain Bank because I think we have like two of those that we owe them as well. And, I believe, I believe Brett's supposed to be our next contestant on there, so we have to uh, all the way from Winnipeg. Yeah, we gotta we gotta make that work, and uh, we still mm. have to get Derek his uh, Bobby's bargain bin <laughs> prize. But uh, we're in the process of working this all together, so we'll um, yep. you know stay tuned on social media and and, and check us out to, to find out when uh, you know our next show will be, whether it's the thirtieth, the first, or whatever. We'll we'll kind of keep you posted there. And uh, we'll talk to you guys then. And and since it's coming into the Christmas season, hope everybody has a happy holidays. And uh, make sure you watch the World Juniors because that's what the holidays is all about. Mm -hmm. All the boot. (laughs) All yeah, hundred (laughs) percent. All right, all right, guys. We'll we'll talk to you later. Take care. Bye, guys.